What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and welcome to episode 60 of Crossover Commerce presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong provides marketplace sellers and entrepreneurs global solutions for controlling their domestic and international funds. An account with Ping Pong enables companies to significantly reduce their costs when receiving or making international payments, all in one platform that helps increase operational efficiencies, saves time, and allows sellers to manage their business profits in one single source. Go ahead. For more information, check out the link in the description. Uh, on the social media, if you're watching this on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you on another episode of Crossover Commerce. Or if you happen to download this at a later time, thanks for listening on either Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, wherever you truly desire to download your podcasts. We're probably there. Just search Crossover Commerce, and that's where you will find us in all of our episodes, all leading up to episodes which I'm really excited. It's been quick to get to 60. We said 30 last year, so we've already doubled our output from 2020. It, it, it's been crazy just giving people information and insights into the Amazon world. Today's no exception. I'm really excited. But before we get uh, introduce our guests, go ahead and do me a favor, like and share this episode on social media, share it to your community, and make sure that if you do want more information uh, about crossover commerce or if you want to be notified when we go live, we go live about four to five times a week. This week is kind of a crazy exception. I'm going live six times a week. Tomorrow is a two-for-one special. We'll be live twice, but we'll recap that at the end of the episode. But go ahead and follow us on social media, on YouTube, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. That's where we share all of the content that's coming up for that week. So you can tune in live or you can be uh, team rewatch and watch it at a later time because we know you're all busy people. So thanks for tuning in, but go ahead and submit your comments below. We'll see those in real time. If you have a question for our guests or myself, or just want to say hi, go ahead and leave that message below. And then also if you watch this at a different time or download it at a different time, feel free to leave those comments and those uh, respective podcast locations as well. We'll make sure we look at those and we value your feedback. So again, Going into our guest today, super excited because uh, he's a serial entrepreneur, exitpreneur, advisor, and partner with Quiet Light Brokerage, one of the top online business brokerage advisory firms in the world. Um, and they've helped. He's actually helped specifically uh, built. He's actually built and bought and sold over half a dozen online companies of his own and helped thousands of online entrepreneurs achieve their goals as a certified mergers and acquisitions professional. And we'll kind of go into what that means in terms of technical terms and why that's important to know when you're working with Amazon brokers or online brokers. Um, but most people start online businesses for their freedom, autonomy, and money that comes with entrepreneurship. But what our guest is here today is to kind of reverse engineer the path to exiting because it's really been this big wave in 2020, 2021. There's so many aggregators in the space. Why it's important to work with certified brokers like Quiet Light like his team um, and other professionals in the space and why going into it by yourself isn't always the best option for you. So um, him and his team can actually help shift your mindset from entrepreneur to entrepreneur. And after all, the majority of your money and you'll be making from your business comes on the day you sell your most valuable asset. That's your business. So without further ado, I'd like to go ahead and bring in my guest, uh, Joe Valley of Quiet Light Brothers Show. What's going on today, sir? Hey, Ryan. Good to be here, man. Good to be here. Just to be clear, just to be clear, look, people are going to do what they're going to do. They're going to choose to um, sell direct, and I'm happy to share all the little secrets about how to negotiate with aggregators right here today if you want. Um, that's right. This is- uh, You this know is all the inside secrets, so that's why we had you on the show. You're you're yeah. you're the guy to go to when it comes to this. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm here to help with all that versus just you know talk about what we do at Quiet Light, you know? So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's why we brought you on. So if again, if you're watching in again, Scott, thanks for joining us on YouTube. If you're watching us on LinkedIn, I'm on share on my phone just because not all those comments uh, come through all the time, but we want to make sure that you guys are watching and listening. We'll see those on our screen and we'll give you guys a shout out. If you have specific questions about your business, obviously more information, those are in our show notes. So you can go ahead and check out Quiet Light's website, 
and all of the how to get in touch with Joe. But we're here to talk about Joe and his background. Uh, so yeah, Joe, we've been connected a couple of times. I've been on your podcast. Maybe tell me a little bit about what makes you, you and kind of like on the personal side and how did you get to this path on at quiet light? Sure. Sure. So I mean, I've been self-employed since 1997, right? I got a little grandma chin there. You'll get some soon. Right? I promise. <laughs> I, I'm it working happens. on it. It'll be gone up top and gray on the bottom. <laughs> it happens quickly. Um, I launched my first e-commerce business. I guess I did in, I spent $50 on a website in 1998. I was running a uh, radio direct response marketing campaign and uh, had to build a website for it. Eventually did a TV infomercial, then did a second product, radio, TV. Took that second product 100% online in 2005. And it was a simple little colon cleanse product, really just kind of an awful thing. But we built it out into a complete digestive wellness line. Okay. And I, I did that. I took it through the the best of and the worst of the economy. Came out uh, the other side of it in 2010. Just tired, man. I was beat up, tired, worn out. It was an awful situation. I was telling somebody the other day, I was working 20 hours a week at my lake house with a pool out front and a beach over there, seeing my kids play with my wife and their friends. And I just needed out. Uh, yeah, I'm trying. I'm sure not. <laughs> but I was just tired, you know. I was just tired. So in the spring of 2010, I thought I woke up one day and I decided to sell the business. Uh, now, I didn't know what it, well, that involved. So after, I just so that woke was up. 20, that was yeah, 17 plus years, right? 20. Okay. Uh, well, I've been doing 100% online five years, right? Um, okay. Back when Google pay-per-click was 35 cents right. a keyword for my main keyword. It was five bucks by the time I sold. Right. Um, but I didn't prepare, I didn't plan, I didn't know what to do. I just started reaching out to the few online business brokers there were at the time. Two out of the three felt like uh, they were just trying to reach through the phone to get their hooks into me for a commission. Uh, it was awful, hated it. The third one um, asked me some legitimate real questions, looked at my financials and said, you know what? Things are getting better. If you wait another six months, you're gonna make a whole lot more money. And I thought, who the hell are you? To, give me, to, t to tell me to go away, right? Basically, he's saying go away. And that's what I did. And that was Mark Doust, the founder of Quiet Light, and now my business partner. Um, so it worked out. I listed in uh, November of 2010 and uh, October of 2010, early October. And we, we closed in November. It was a fairly quick transaction under LOI in three weeks, closed in 30 days. And then I kicked around for a good 15 months or so and joined the Quiet Light team in April 2010, uh, 12. Um, okay. since then I've personally closed about a hundred million in total transactions through the team that we've got close to a half a billion. And I tried to do the math the other day, just ballparking, uh, uh, how many entrepreneurs I've talked to over the years. It's been nine years now. And I figure conservatively it's at least 5,000 one-on-one -on -one conversations. I think it's probably closer to 8,000 overall. Um, but 5,000 one-on-one conversations about their businesses. And so you know, at, at one point I said, enough is enough. I'm, I'm tired of repeating myself. So I wrote right. a book. The book's coming out <laughs> in, in May. That's Don't ever write a book, people. It's it's not fun. But the book, <laughs> the book will be out in May, but I can talk about everything else that, you know, that goes into, the, that's in the book, including how to negotiate with aggregators, um, how to calculate stuff, um, success stories, failures, what people did right, what they did wrong. Um, it's all in there. Hopefully it won't make people's eyes bleed. It's going to kind of the ultimate reference guy where they can go back and look at it time and time again. Is this only, is this going to be a print version or are you just doing this all e, like ebook or what's kind of the specifics behind it? It's going it? to be available in all sorts of formats. Can't do the, um, the audio because things are so delayed because of the pandemic. So that probably won't come out until late summer, early fall. Um, but it'll, okay. it'll be, you know, hardcover paperback ebook. If people want it that way, whatever works. Exit, nice. What's it, the, what, what's yeah. the name of it? It's uh, the, the Exitpreneurs playbook. And it's okay. how to reverse engineer your pathway to a, an exit, maximize your dollars. Um, and no, that's not the subtitle. I just sort of stumbled my way through it. But it, it, it's it's everything I want to talk with you about today. It's, this isn't about yeah. quiet light. It's in the book sales. It's about anything you want to talk about in terms of what's going on in the marketplace, what people uh, should do if they're negotiating on their own, because all these aggregators are reaching out, right? We right. I just got an email in my inbox this morning. David uh, Newell on the team. Uh, commented that the person, he just sold a business for somebody and uh, prior to listing with Quiet Light, they had gotten um, six uh, unsolicited emails from six different aggregators in six months and uh, ended up ended up listing with David and, and, and getting a, a very nice exit. But uh, we give it all away. So 
start poking around with questions, I'm happy to help. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, and, and that's important to know, like your background, that's how we paint the picture of your perspective, because you did it, you fumbled your way through, you, you have that insight of what it looks like to you exit a business, but also you have that expertise in the field because it's a buzzword right now, right? Everyone says aggregators are roll-up companies. I don't know yeah. why, like if one's the negative connotation, one's the positive connotation. I never know which one to use personally. So wh when you talk about this, I think the number is a hundred. There's a hundred of businesses like this investments or just companies they're acquiring to either keep in house or sell off to another entity, if you will. Yeah. Um, is that the number that you guys are hearing or is that the number that's legitimate? Like what, what's, what's the number out there? Because that means there's a hundred different options. Yeah. If you're, no. if you're a brand, there's really it's not more than because that. some of those are just starting. They haven't gotten their funding yet, or they're right. very specific. They only want, you know, auto parts or nutritional supplements or pet supplies, things of that nature. So you okay. really got to narrow it down quite a bit. There's others like boosted and branded perch thrass, you know, they'll buy anything for the most part. Um, some of them still will stay away from electronics and clothing, things of that nature. But um, there, there's really not a hundred good ones, right? I mean, there could be a hundred buyers, but you don't want to deal with a hundred buyers, especially if they don't have any money. But th there's a lot. And for the next, for the foreseeable future, until one of them implodes massively, um, I think there's going to be a lot of money in the space. And it's good for FBA business owners because it's going to create even more competition and drive up multiples if they do it right. I was gonna say, so when you're taking this, why did why did this become a hot commodity now? Why 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 now? Why 2020, 2021, you're seeing all these businesses exist or yeah. you know, explode yeah. onto the scene? Well, it it started actually long before 2020. You know, probably four or five years ago, I had a conversation with uh, RJ from 101 Commerce. And he called me and he said, this is the plan. We're going to buy 24 FBA businesses in 24 months. And I'm sorry, 101 FBA businesses in 24 months. Uh, said, the, hence the name, right? Hence the name 101. I said, you're crazy. It's not going to happen. And they ended up buying 13. The whole model didn't quite work out for various reasons. Um, but Carlos and Josh at Thras did it right. Ken did it right. They... Um, put together the right funding. They're all brilliant. Uh, and, uh, and they've changed it. And they got in the news, right? So when they initially got their huge funding round, public huge funding round that was in the news back in July, I want to say June, I want to say April, or right? it was it was around pandemic time. Um, we had sold them about 20% of their transactions at that time. And, and it still hovers, you know, if you believe the numbers, they say they bought 90. And we probably sold them about 20 to 23% of those it, it shifts and varies. Um, and that's okay, we're happy to work with them. But as long as, you know, um, they're paying a good value for the business and it's harder right. for them now, right? They, they kind of have to go upstream in value and, and overseas to really find new places and new territories. Because anytime that there's a decent FBA business that we list, there's going to be six, seven, even Chuck had 13 offers on his last pet supply business. So there's much I mean, more competition. It's driving up, driving up the value. You got to get them competing against each other though. That's the key, right? It's not just Mr. Wonderful in the Shark Tank. It's there's five other five total of five people, right? There should be fifty right. to make it really competitive. That's what we want to do to get people the maximum value. So you let's take the Shark Tank scenario. Obviously, they would rather want to deal with you one on one more often than not. I would assume because you you are the entrepreneur. They can no one else is competing against them. You can put the offer on the table. You can spin it your way as an aggregator. You come in as like that handholder through process like go from one two three four and like say okay like what what are these assets if you guys are that handholder along the way what like what value are you bringing to people is it that connection is it that like why, why is it important to work with like a broker or like a, a certified professional like you you call us whatever you want it's fine um i don't know what the negative connotation is so i tip down around a lot not, of different I, phrases yeah, <laughs> i've been called lots of things in my life i'm not going to be offended by being called a broker because <laughs> how we started it's really what we are um we've grown up and people call us m a viruses now and that's fine too i don't i don't really care i'm here to help more than anything else but you know there's so many things that are wrong or red flags that should go off when somebody reaches out to you and says hey I want to buy your business. We're cash buyers. We can close in 30 to 45 days. Work directly with us and avoid the broker fee. 
the avoid the broker fee thing is the red flag there. They can close in 30 days, they can close in 45 days, but the first thing you got to do is get the numbers right. So they're going to, you know, look at your seller account and sort of come up with their own math, or maybe look at your P&L and look at the net income and come up with their own math. But I promise you, I promise you that Ken is not, or well, Ken's a great guy. Any of the aggregators are not going to look at your P&L and go, oh, you know what? You didn't do an ad back for the cash back that you get on that $300,000 that you spend every year or the reward points that you should have converted. Oh, and, and, and also I, I noticed that your cost of goods went down by $2 a unit and you sell 3,000 of those every month. Uh, let's do an ad back for $6,000 for the prior months, for each month for the prior months. They're not gonna do that, <laughs> I promise you. Right. There's that and there's probably you know 20 other things that need to be assessed and put into a proper um, calculation of seller's discretionary earnings. That's the first thing, you know, and flipping it from cash to accrual. Most people in the audience probably doing cash. They're not doing accrual. It's not the right way to do it. it the, the, the aggregators are not only going to offer you a lower multiple, they're going to give you a kind of a iffy deal structure. Um, they're getting a lot of instant equity, especially if they're buying it and it's cash. Some of them are very good people and, and we'll flip it to accrual and try to do the right thing, but they're still not going to do the ad back schedules. There's so much built in there that um, it's it's worth it. I guarantee you we earn our fee. Um, that's just the beginning though. So in that scenario where David you know, had a client that kept getting solicitations and talked to these folks and David said, if you want to work with them directly, I totally get it. I understand. Give it a shot. And he decided to work with David and they wound up with six offers and you know, three of them from the aggregators, three of the others didn't even make the offers, even though they were saying they were going to, uh, six offers and well, well, well over asking price with a much better deal structure, um, no working capital peg, mostly cash, a little bit of the stability payment. And you got to get those details right there to the point where literally hundreds of thousands of dollars more above and beyond the expense of the broker fee. And in fact, actually, there was one final phone call that David had to have with one of the buyers, the buyer that got chosen. It was like a 20 minute phone call and David got him to come up a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. And that's, you know, just a 20 minute conversation, just like a that. 20 minute conversation because he knew he wanted the business. And David said, look, there's a lot of competition here. You're going to have to come up, come up to whatever you think you can. And David doesn't tell them he can't give them details, but they came up a hundred thousand dollars in 20 minutes. I think that covers the broker fee and then some, right? It's right. it's it's worth it. This is a very, very emotional process. I don't care how many times you've done this when you were uh, a week, two weeks, three weeks away from a couple hundred thousand, a half a million, a million, five million, $10 million, you're going to be emotional and you're going to need that support on your side. Not only do we get the numbers right and help you with negotiations and deal structure and all this stuff too, but... The secret big part of what we do is actually help people manage their expectations and their emotions. And it's the emotions that will kill you financially at the end because uh, things always right. fall off the rails and it's our job to put them back on track. You guys need to have a certified uh, emotional therapy person mm. on staff just to like walk you through like the last 5% of the way say, hey man, it's going to be okay. And like walk them through and make sure that they get to the signing table. So that um, might be a new job that you guys need to hire for. I'm, I'm, ca I'm calling <laughs> it. I'm not an emotional support dog, but I'm an right. <laughs> emotional support <laughs> therapist. Something, something yeah, some some certain words that yeah we won't utter on air. But here, <laughs> uh, but uh, so like the you mentioned reverse engineering your path because people don't know how to get there. Like it's almost like it's almost like a seat. Like the path is never clear for a lot of people. I feel like it's not like laid out appropriately in either the education or whatnot. And that's no one's fault. It's just a very scary way to know like, Hey, in two years, if I'm selling this correct or I'm doing all the right things, I need to make sure I have all these things along the way checked off so that when I do eventually exit my business or my brand or this, you know, this thing that I've built my asset that my greatest asset that I've built up as an entrepreneur I need to make sure that I did step-by-step step the right way. So when you're reverse engineering that, how are, how are you telling people, this is what you do, this is what expectation is, but to get there, this is how you start and work your way backwards. Yeah, it's it's really not that complicated. It starts with a goal. 
right? And so if I was having a conversation with you, I would want to get a gauge for how much you want to sell your business for. Mm-hmm. And you might say, well, I want to sell it for a four-time multiple. And I'd be like, okay, well, that you know, multiples don't get deposited to your bank account dollars do. Let's talk right. about your real exit. What are, you, what are you really shooting for? You want a million, you want five, you want 10. So I had a call with somebody last week. He's like, I would like $12 million. I'm like, okay, let's see if we, let's see how close we are to that and, and, and reverse engineer a path to it. So we talked in very broad terms on an initial phone call about his growth, his numbers, his structure, uh, where he's at today, ballpark, ballpark, seller's discretionary earnings, because you can't actually get to it on a single phone call. And and we figured out that, you know what, based upon the growth, based upon the numbers and, you know, in another three months, he can hit that $12 million exit. The problem is his business is very young and the growth is off the charts. So we figured out a way, you know, basically for his $12 million exit, if he's willing to take a certain amount in cash, a certain amount in an earnout, and he wants to stay on board, he wants to roll equity and all these different things, we can achieve his exit. So who's working with them now? Walker's working with them now. The other, the other thing is, you know, and, and we go through the great detail in the ad backs and strengths and weaknesses of the business, what buyers want, what they fear and all these different things in the whole process. But the key thing I think is not just setting a goal and then figuring out how close or how far you are from it today, but um, understanding that your business is in fact probably your most valuable asset and, and, and that, you are currently on the hamster wheel spinning and just trying to keep up and you do want to jump off someday um, and, and getting really motivated when you understand what that potential value really is. So uh, a couple of guys that I've known for uh, probably two and a half, three years now, they came to me a couple of years ago, right? Not, not initially to talk about it. We were just at functions together and having dinner beers and this, this kind of thing. And they said, look, we need to understand where we're at because this is, it's been four years and we feel like the business isn't really going anywhere. And, you know, based upon what we're hearing, we think it might be worth like a half a million dollars. Can you help? Can you take a look? And I took a look and they were dead wrong, unfortunately, right? <laughs> um, it was actually worth about a million dollars, not a half a million dollars. Dead wrong in the wrong way. Yeah. Or, or in a good way, right? And that happens, right. that happens at more than you know, more than 50% of the time that happens. People underestimate the value. Some people just, you know, are totally off the charts, of course, in terms of what they think it's worth, but most people exactly. are, are not grasping the numbers properly and, and getting that discretionary earnings right. But these guys, you know, instantly were like, holy crap, seriously? And it wasn't, holy crap, seriously, let, let's sell. It's, wow, based upon where we're going, where do you think we'll be in a year? Where do you think we'll be in two? And so we reconnected again a couple of months ago, actually a month ago. Um, and they're on track now to do about 1.8 million in discretionary earnings in 2021 wow. and staring down the window at, you know, an eight figure exit. Right. So just a couple of years ago, uh, yeah. half a million, not very motivated, kind of beaten down. And it, it just opened their eyes to the possibilities of what's out there for them. They work their tail off. They've put their their livelihood into this. They've risked everything. They spent too much time at work and not enough with their families. And they were beaten down. Now they got that excitement, that motivation, and a path towards that exit. You know, buttoning up certain aspects of the business. It's a very high recurring revenue aspect of the business, really dialing that in, making sure the growth is there, making sure there's new products that are going to grow for a new owner to take over and things of that nature. We've talked about it all. They're fine-tuning, their cost of goods sold and all that good stuff. And they literally will have a, you know, a north of $10 million exit in, in early 22. If that's when they decide to exit, I like to say eventual exit instead of, you know, exiting when you're going to exit, when you eventually exit, because it's up to you. We're here to help whenever. Yeah. So when, so is it in your opinion that multiples are just going to keep climbing in terms of that? Because a lot of people I've heard it both ways, like, Hey, now's the time to buy. Now's the time to sell or exit your business because you know, you don't know if anything will continue to, potentially go down, yeah. which is true with anything, right? That, that, that's a, that's a half glass, half full glass, half empty kind of mentality. Yeah. What, what facts or what kind of what trajectories are you guys seeing? Is it going to continue to go up? Let me just say that I heard that same thing in 2010 because Obama was going into office and 
capital gains taxes are going to go up and I needed to sell before 2011. And you know, maybe they were right. They were right a little bit. Uh, and they're probably right again if you said that now. But as far as you know, are multiples going up? Yes. There's no doubt mm -hmm. they're going up. Uh, Chuck just listed a small one. It is a, a pet business. Um, 200,000 in discretionary went out of 3.5, which is generally kind of strong for a business that small. Mm -hmm. uh, ended up ended up um, around the 5.8 range, which is the exception rather than the rule. Um, it right. was just it was perfect in a dozen different ways. Um, David's business that I just mentioned that you know the aggregators were trying to buy. One of them ended up buying it, but he paid all cash, didn't have a working capital peg, and paid way over what they advertised for a multiple. Um, and and again, stroked an extra hundred thousand dollars at the end in a twenty minute phone conversation. There there was a time that I used to list. FBA businesses at a 2.74 multiple. So it would round down to a 2.7 because anything above that, nobody's going to touch it. It's way too much. So much risk in FBA. I don't want to do it. And now, you know, with people with hundreds of millions of dollars are buying them up, um, the multiples are pushing up. There's going to be a breaking point, right? They can't just go spend right. a 10 time multiple because exactly their portfolios only get, you know, the, the, the instant equity for them is that they buy it at three and it becomes worth 10. Now, if they buy it at four and it's worth 10 instantly, they're still going to get a two and a half time return on their investment, along with, of course, the growth because of you know the different avenues of generating revenue that they can do, not running out of inventory, spending a lot more money on advertising, things of that nature. But the multiples will push up and it does vary by size, of course, right? Um, in in uh, some part of the book, I, I probably need to revise it already because we talk about multiples by size, right? And right. you know, fortunately, I think I gave a pretty broad range um, for different businesses, but it's you know sub hundred, sub five hundred, sub million, north of a million, because those are kind of breaking points you know, along with other factors. But the larger the business is, the more diverse it is, the less risk it is, the more transferable. That is just going to have you know a higher multiple normally than something that is 200,000, like the one I just mentioned that Chuck had. Um, yeah. A 5.8 is, is, is pretty unheard of. Don't expect it, people, if you you know go to list your business. It'll be listed at the right price. That's the key thing. We, we'll list it at the right price. And when you list it right, um, you will wind up with multiple offers and uh, hopefully it will go for um, at or over asking price. But that's only part of the equation. The, the other what's half a, is the right. What's a rule of thumb? What's a rule of thumb that people can go off of? Like generally average would be what? A two-time multiple of what you're, you know, bringing I, in. Yeah, yeah see, go ahead. The, see, we can get deep into the weeds on that, but first you got to say multiple of what? It None of it matters if you get the numbers right. wrong, right? N none of it matters. And that's the water cooler talk that, n that none of us are around anymore. But, you know, yeah, I got to, I got to, I got to three-time multiple. I got a four-time multiple. I had, right. somebody, I had somebody as a guest on our podcast that sold through a competitor he's just a nice guy. So I had him on and we talked about his exit. And at the end, when we were not recording anymore, you know, he told me what kind of multiple it was. And I said, okay, let's break that down in terms of, you know, what the real multiple was. Cause it's a multiple of discretionary earnings mm -hmm. plus inventory for everybody out there that does this, except for our website closers. They include the inventory into the multiple. It, it, it has a an effect of increasing the multiple when you look at it online. So their multiples might look higher. Uh, it's not a negative thing that they're trying to do. They're not being tr tricky or anything like that. It's just that one of their founders came from a different world uh, where they do that. Um, but it's a multiple of seller's discretionary earnings plus good sellable inventory on hand at the time of closing. For so most, that, for the most part. So, so I want to I want to break that phrase down a little bit because I've okay. had a couple of people that have mentioned cost of goods is just business, you know, you know, cost of doing business or not cost of doing business. It's not a part of the multiple. It's almost like a separate. It is you know, separate. You get paid back right. for your inventory. See, this is, this is, this is the trick. That's the question I'm trying to like help understand is like when people look at it and put it into their offer versus not, why yeah. are they looking at that as part of their multiple or not part of their multiple? Because that's where a lot well, of people what, get questions. Yeah. About. What, what website, let's say that I was listing something at uh, a three-time multiple and uh, discretionary earnings was a million dollars. So it would be $3 million plus a half a million in inventory. 3.5 when you add it all together, right? Mm -hmm. Website closers would list it at 3.5 million. Okay. So that inventory is already included in the purchase price. The when you said website closers, what, what is that? for for uh, like simplistic reasons 
What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Well, that's you're talking about like a Thrasio, or you're talking about like, or are you no, talking no, no, about? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, folks. Website closers, Quiet Light Brokerage, FE International, gotcha. yeah, yeah, Empire Flippers, we're all competitors in the same space, right? Sorry, so, I just want to make that clear. Like, this is what yep. website closers sorry. are. No, uh, yeah. you're good. <laughs> they're, they're, they're folks in the space, um, and so their multiple look like 3.5. So the the challenge that I have with that is that in this. 30 minutes and five seconds that we've been talking, if I own an FBA business, the value of my multiple has changed. The value, I'm sorry, of my inventory has changed. So it's always a moving number. So we always go with a good sellable inventory on hand or on hand and paid for or, or paid for and on a boat on the way at closing. So you get paid back for your inventory and you get a multiple of your discretionary earnings. Critical, critical difference. And if you get that calculation wrong, saying multiple of you know a, a three-time multiple it doesn't do you any good whatsoever. So to answer your question, what's a ballpark multiple that people can go with? You know, um, I think it's safe to say that your business is probably worth somewhere in the two to four time multiple range. That's not very helpful, right? <laughs> well, no, that, that makes sense. Like just the kind of like people are, I say unrealistic. It depends obviously what business you're in, how well you're doing. Sure. And then like, obviously if you're selling internationally, I mean, we can get really into the weeds, um, but we did have a couple of questions. Maybe we can knock out real quick. Uh, Joe yeah. from Francois from LinkedIn, again, front of the show. Uh, he actually works for Novaland, but this is a, like a shipping logistics company. So this is up his alley. How do buyers assess supply chains and suppliers? Have you ever seen a buyer retract an offer after auditing their supply chain? That's a great question. Okay. It's a great question. The answer is no, Francois, simply because we like to get ugly fast. There's not going to be any surprises when somebody looks at a quiet light listing. We're going to ask every question we think a buyer is going to want to ask and need to know, and it's going to be in writing, and our client's going to answer it in writing. Uh, we don't rush to letter of intent, even though I think in 2020, the average time from listing to LOI was something like 42 days. We don't rush. Um, we don't necessarily want the first offer, we want the best one. And the best one is the one that is not trying to lock it up in letter of intent just so nobody else gets to look at it. They truly want to buy the business. They've digested the SIM. They've had a call with me or a member of the team, the listing advisor. And then they've had at least one buyer seller conference call with the owner of the business. Then and only then can they make an offer, believe it or not. It's crazy. But we make them talk to the owner of the business because it's got to be the right connection, the right people. Um, I've seen people choose a buyer because they liked them more and they were going to take care of their employees over somebody that was going to pay $230,000 more in cash. $2.3 million listing SBA deal. The guy took the SBA deal with 90% down, so a $230,000 note over the all cash buyer that could close in 30 days because he just liked the other guy more trusted him more, believed he was going to get through to closing and he was going to take care of his staff. So simple answer, no, because we do like to get ugly fast and we put it all out there. There's other reasons. The most common reason a deal will fall apart is simply because sales fall off a cliff. It's not often that that happens, but that would be the primary reason. What's an example of that? Can you tell us anything specific for that reason? Yeah. So I, I had a listing. It happened a couple of years ago. They were in the, um, EDM space, all right? I didn't know mm -hmm. what that was. You know what it is? Come on, I don't know. Educate EDM. me. Oh, electric uh, dance music. I was gonna say, yeah, it's more like techno or electric yeah. music. Yeah. Yeah. Look at us. Big, big concerts and supplying, you know, bandanas and things of this nature. You know that actually people wear as masks now. They're too thin and don't work. But you know they were in that <laughs> business. They were in that business, and both owners had full time jobs. They were not getting along anymore, and they just wanted to sell. And they waited too long. They waited to the point where they had already taken their, their eye off the ball for a couple of months. And, and that, that eye off the ball was just starting to have an impact on the business. And we got it under letter of intent. And then the next month numbers came in and they were 50% of what they were for the same month last year. So the buyer said, look, I, I can't do this at this price. I'm afraid to do it at all because now I have to project out what the next 11 months are going to be like. And in order to do that, the business is only worth this. And I don't want a business that's only that size. I want something that's bigger like what you had, so I'm out. And we didn't relist the business because it was kind of unsellable until the yeah. pandemic hit and they, you know, their sales went through the roof uh, in a temporary way, selling very thin 
masks with skeletons on them and things of that nature that, you know, the CDC says don't use. I was going to say it's foreshadowing is something much greater than, than yeah. just going to a concert. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's interesting because like, is there, does that mean that there is a category or a product that's by definition unsellable or is every brand or category could potentially be sold. Yeah, no, listen, Jason, Jason on the team, Jason was my advisor back in 2010. He was mm -hmm. amazing. He's still amazing. Um, he has the ability to cut through the bull and tell you like it is without offending you. And that is a skill that Mark and I talk about. We just don't have. <laughs> it's just pretty amazing. We'll read his email sometime. We will. Can you believe he said that? And they love him for it. It's incredible. But Jason will say, uh, if he's, I've heard him say it, you know, a hundred times that, you know, every business is sellable. It's just got to be listed at the right value for buyers. Um, right. He's, he's, he's been the fire sale guy when somebody's totally screwed up and he's taken on a listing and said, look, I can make this happen, but the reality is this is where you're going to be. And he does it in a way that still brings multiple buyers and they end up, you know, in, in many cases, bidding the price up a little bit. Aside from that, you know, um, we, we don't go into the por pornography space. We don't go into the gambling space. We stopped doing anything related to um, electronic cigarettes and that kind of space. Vaping, yeah. Vaping. It's just not for us. It's not that it's bad, but it's just not for us. What about um, if you're in a different country? Is it only with U.S. Amazon sellers or can you be an international seller, exit your business, and it still makes sense to work with them? Yeah, there's two different kinds there, right? So I've worked with plenty of people in all sorts of parts of the world that uh, have been selling on the Amazon.com platform. Um, Australia, New Zealand, I feel like I've done so many deals there. Um, Germany, Switzerland, uh, Mexico, Venezuela. I actually once sold a business. Mm -hmm. The guy's name was uh, John Smith, and he was incorporated in Hong Kong, but lived in Venezuela, and his business was an Amazon.com business. I had to do a credit check on him. I just had to. I, I, had I was going to say, Joe, for compliance reasons, I have to tell you, please do a background check on this person. I did. A, we did a background <laughs> check. He was, he was. His name was really John Smith. Uh, and it was. It sold. It was a million bucks. What an uh, unfortunate name. Oh my yeah, gosh. I know. That, I know. that has then, to have red flags everywhere. Have all of those things. Um, but the you know the the situation now where there's um, a, a client that has a fairly attractive business monetarily that's in it's 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 in he's in spain and it's primarily focused in spain and it's a a paypal account a spanish pay, paypal account um it's the transfer of that as i understand it, is going to be very your eyes are going hmm ping pong. yeah well I was, I was trying to figure out like what, what do you mean by spanish uh paypal account? well this is this is me reading an email before we jumped on a call so oh uh, gotcha you're gonna have to off, off, off yeah off camera you're gonna be like this is what it means like this is interesting we should take a look at this essentially <laughs> you know two or three other brokerage firms says no nah, unsellable it's just it's too complex too complicated there's too much risk for the buyer taking that business over because the assets are not going to fully transfer right there's automatic payments to your subscribers uh on a platform in another country that doesn't transfer over that's the general gist of it. And so that seems like it's going to be a much, much more challenge to sell mm -hmm. than a straight up .com FBA business or an EU or Germany or something like that. Those are happening. There are buyers that are definitely uh, buying those. The aggregators are actually helping in that area because they're more than willing to do uh, a stock sale than, than many others. And there's a great advantage for uh, an EU seller to uh, do a stock sale versus an asset sale. If you're Canadian, same thing. We don't, we don't do the stock sales. They flip it to a stock sale and then we just become administrators just to be crystal yeah. clear. Um, but it's happening. And if you're a seller any, anywhere else in the world, if you're not selling on .com on Amazon, you're in great shape. Not an issue whatsoever. Sometimes it's a challenge when somebody's overseas and um, there's a language barrier and they haven't mm -hmm. done a good job with their financials, right? The, yeah. If you think about what buyers want, it's, you know, Low risk, high growth, fully clean books, and clean books. Yeah, and you know, if you're in the Ukraine, I love people from the Ukraine, by the way, just in case you are. But you know, an Eastern Bloc country, if you will, uh, Eastern European country, uh, and, and it's an American buyer, and there's a language barrier, and your books are terrible. It's going to be much harder to sell. Your multiple is going to come down. It's sellable, but it's going to come down. So to Jason's yeah. point, everything is sellable. It's just going to be sellable at the right price. 
Awesome. Uh, we had a couple more questions come in. Uh, more logistics questions, which I always find fascinating. What's the worst case ever seen in logistics? Um, I think that what that means and how I interpret that would be that it either kills a business or like a, a deal mm -hmm. or it's just like yeah. the numbers are just garbage and you yeah. say redo your logistics like these are unsellable numbers yeah for sure so some point last year um this is actually a story in the book but i had to make up a name because i didn't want to get yeah, john anyone. smith here we go john, john smith, smith again. Guy from venezuela named john smith um he came to me and um he was literally about to sign an engagement letter with uh, a competing firm and just got a funny feeling and decided not to do it. And he said, these are the numbers. This is the value I want. What do you think? I said, well, based upon everything that you've talked about, yeah, it's going to work. He goes, let's just go under engagement. I'm like, it's not the way it works, but I did it anyway. And then I get his numbers and I'm going through it and uh, we're reviewing it. We ended up doing a, a, a screen share, a Zoom call, of course. We're do, doing a screen share. Screen share. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers and he goes, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. What, what, is, what are those numbers in July and August? I said, well, those are straight from your P&L. He goes, what? There's no way I did $600,000 in revenue in July. I'm like, well, these are the numbers you gave me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> surprise. Like, no, no, they're wrong. I'm like, well, we got to have the numbers right. So I made him go back to the drawing board, go through it all. He didn't want any of his employees to know. He had an employee doing the, account, the, the uh, accounting. It, she was just out of college uh, doing oh, everything boy. the CPA said to do, and she was doing it all wrong. So it, instead of doing something like $4 million in discretionary earnings and having the business worth you know, $13 or $14 million, he was doing about a million and a half in discretionary earnings. And the business was basically worth half of what he thought it was worth right back to the drawing board. Yeah, I'm like, we can still move forward, but this isn't even close to you. He goes, and he goes, no, I can't do that. That's not going to set me up. I yeah. can't exit now. I'm like, and I introduced him to, you know, four or five high quality e-commerce bookkeepers that will cost half of what mm -hmm. the unqualified bookkeeper in-house cost. <laughs> intern, you know? intern, new person. Yeah. I mean, even that, even that kind of approach right there. So let's say, you know, once upon a time I had an internal bookkeeper that I hired. Mm -hmm. She was just out of college and she did all my books and it took her like five days to reconcile a month, which is looking back. Oh, okay. She really took me. Right. But you know, let's say if I paid her $24,000 a year on the super, super high end, you're going to pay a really high end e-commerce bookkeeper a thousand bucks a year. So you're saving yeah. $12,000 a year. If your business is going to sell at a multiple of three, not only are you saving $12,000 a year, I'm sorry. Yes. $12,000 a year. You're gaining 36 more in the yeah. sale of your business because you've decreased your cost and your overhead by that amount and you're getting better quality books. So yeah, yeah, getting the books wrong is the number one reason that uh, we, we don't list businesses or people are not able to achieve an exit at that time because they have to go back to the drawing board and get the numbers right. So you talk about the cost savings factor, you put that to your bottom line and then ultimately you can say, add this with your multiple and look, you can make $36,000 just by just transferring that one resource to another. What about in terms of marketplace value? If you're a brand selling on .com, but also have it in, um, like, let's talk about like Mercado Libre, which is South America, or you're selling in Rakuten in Japan, or you know, all these other marketplaces around the world that are doing in different currencies mm -hmm. as well as different valuations. How do you reconcile all those numbers into one? Is it in USD? Like, what, what's the number one currency that you're well, if they're, if they're doing in all, in all those different currencies, are they, are they using ping pong? Well, in theory, like you would. And they're Hopefully they're getting it back. Smart. Yeah, well, they're incredibly yeah. good at what they do. And the profit- <laughs> They would be high. smart, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they would be I, smart to do that. But it, do you know what I'm saying? Like you have all these different yeah. uh, earnings and revenue sources from different, are, is a uh, aggregator going to look at what they're making in earnings in that currency? Or is it, hey, how it lands back to USD, for example? It, it's it's really neither and it's not just the aggregators. So it's okay. it, it's that risk pillar, that fear, right? What buyers want and fear. It's that that's that's the risk. And what they want is, you know, a safe, diverse business that's not going to fall off a cliff the day after they buy it, or a month mm -hmm. or a year after they buy it. So if they're selling, you know, on Amazon.com, on Shopify, and they're mm -hmm. selling in Canada, Japan, whatever, on these other platforms as well. It's just more diverse income streams and less risk. 
and less risk means a higher value, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, you're going to see, and just ballpark, but you're going to see if for, for equal businesses in terms of discretionary earnings, if one's, you know, 95% Amazon and another's 50% Amazon and 50% Shopify, you're going to see, you know, a 20% bump on the 50-50 business value just because you own the customer and there's less risk. Gotcha. So, so same, would, yeah. same, same would be true for those other countries and, and revenue channels. I just be honest with you, I don't I don't see anything. I've been doing this for nine years. As I said, I've talked to a few thousand people. Um, I haven't seen anything with sizable Rocktown revenue um, or any other country other than maybe Germany and UK, the Germany. UK. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes even, sense. Even Canada's tiny. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that grows over time. I, I think it's just like us is just too big and too far ahead of its time. And then, but as it grows, other multiple, uh, other marketplaces will continue. Oh, to grow, which, yeah, yeah. Which brings value across the world. I was just even reading an article about Southeast Asia, just looking at the GMV, the, the global market value of what that area represents Southeast Asia. Once it flips, they combine it all. I think it's like fourth largest in the world behind USA uh, Europe and I want to say Japan, wow. unless they were adding Japan, but in terms of total GMV, like if you add it all together, that that's where this market is like budding and ready to pop. So it's just other things to kind of wait and see how like logistics works and things like that. Um, and as it continues to grow with like mobile selling and, you know, yeah. all these other factors that USA is already like implementing in, in terms of our day-to-day -day lives. Yeah. Um, I yeah, think if somebody's, so, if, I think if somebody's, patient and running their business with, you know, a, a real goal in mind, they're going to hang on to the business longer. They're going to run it more efficiently and they're going to grow in a manner that's going to help them achieve that goals. And, and in many cases, it may take them overseas. It, it may take them, you know, just to their manufacturer to renegotiate cost of goods sold um, because it's mm -hmm. just going to, the, the multiplying effect of doing things like that, like using ping pong, we talked about it on the quiet light podcast, right? If you know, you're spending $100,000 in exchange fees a year and you save 3% of that or you reduce it. it. It's it's a multiplying effect. Not only do you have right. more money in your bank account, but you get that times, you know, three, four, five, depending upon the value business at X. Absolutely. Um, there, There's a couple more questions. Man, they're coming in hot and heavy from LinkedIn. Thanks for watching again, everyone, live on LinkedIn, again, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Um, thanks for asking your question. So Francois, again, has Amazon been a bottleneck in a lot of Amazon businesses because of COVID brought down that multiple. It didn't bring down the multiple actually. Um, in an odd way, it brought it up. It's not just the aggregators. It's the fact that my father's 84 years old and used to go to, you know, Sears and Target to go shopping. And now he shops online um, he, and he shops on Amazon. So it's, it's gotten more people uh, doing the things that we do, which is just order online. I, I want to go out to dinner. I want to have a beer with friends. I want to do all those social things, but I really don't want to go shopping for mm -hmm. you know desk furniture or whatever so it, it, amazon being a bottleneck has been a case in terms of you know uh logistics right so i've had people that have you know sent product into amazon and a month later it still hasn't been processed three months later i've seen that it still hadn't hit their account and uh, ready to sell so there's definitely been a bottleneck in in that regard for sure yeah and then uh we had one more question that came in about Udan.com. Uh, this is not a website I have heard of, but it's a B2B aggregator in India. How have they started? Uh, where are they sitting currently? Is that some yeah. uh, company that you've been familiar with? Jeff? I'd have to look on my aggregator list. If I, I don't think I've had a conversation with them. It might've been Mark or Chuck. Um, but oddly enough, you, you know, I've got, I've got a list of 300 uh, Facebook groups that are in the Amazon space. Right. And, and the largest one is in India. It's like 300,000 right. members of that Facebook group. So this doesn't surprise me at all. We just need to make sure that they're, you know, calculating discretionary earnings right and negotiating the right way, the right deal structure. So they're not getting, you know, many sleepless nights after selling to Udan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, guess, I guess my couple other things I have brought up of what uh, are people just when they're going to business and they're working with an aggregator, um, I, I say when they're exiting their business, what are what are like the top things that you can add to your business to start really bringing value to your business? Like 
you implement X, it's ab- absolutely going to bring your value up significantly. Is there is there one t- thing that people are just missing that you're like, I suggest that you do this and that is going to increase a value by at least twice or well, we, 1.5 we or whatever it. that looks like. Yeah, it, it, it's it's there's so many different variations to so many different businesses that I could give one example. It, it's going to apply to one person listening, but not the other sure. 10 or 20 or 30. I mean, it's, it's little tiny things like using ping pong, like renegotiating cost of goods sold, like testing increasing prices, right? I had sold a business that closed in December to an aggregator after COVID hit, they were going to run out of inventory on their number one selling SKU. So they raised the price by $4. Sales didn't go down. They went up. It, 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 and it's, and it's lasted, right? It's stuck. So they're never going back down. So for January, February, March, and April, we took the sales by month times $4 and it ended up adding like $42,000 in, uh, in the ad back schedule, math, logic, black and white that times the multiple. And I think it added like $150,000 to the list price of the business. Those are the things that you got to do to prepare. And you can't do that if you wake up and decide to sell your business like I did in the spring of 2010. <laughs> Fortunately, Mark told me to go away. And it I'm tired, go away. Right? <laughs> we tell people to go away because it's in their best interest. Sometimes they go, oh, he doesn't want to sell my business. That's not right. We want to sell your business. We want to help you. We want to help you get maximum value for your eventual exit. If eventual for you is tomorrow, if you're ready, then we're ready too. But you, you, you want to get it right. You, you just want to hear. I tell you what, there are there are three primary things. If there's other questions, let me know. I want to answer them. But I, yeah. I think what they're beating around is a couple of things I want to talk about. But yeah. Oh, what else do we got? Uh, other questions. Uh, you you talk about this, and I've heard it talking on your podcast. The ignorance discount. What does that mm-hmm. mean, and why do people need to know? Yeah, I've got. I'm not sure if that's a, an offensive term it, it for exists. people or not. I gotta, I gotta figure that out. So I don't think so. I think it, when you were talking about being blunt and to the point, this is part of it, Joe. Like you have to get mm-hmm. to the point. This is what ignorance discount means. So lay it out. So for when you I mean, obviously when you don't do the math right on your own, the, the discretionary earnings, you're giving an ignorance discount. When you're doing cash accounting and you sell your business based off of cash and you're you're growing like crazy, you are absolutely giving up an ignorance discount. These things are, are are giving instant equity to the buyers and they absolutely love you for it. Aggregators, they do the same thing. So they'll say, avoid the broker fee, work with us. What they don't tell you is they're going to look for a working capital peg, which is a couple of months worth of inventory value. So if you've got $300,000 in inventory, they want you know the average of two months worth of inventory gifted to them at closing. So there goes your broker fee. The other thing that you're going to be stuck with that is a big ignorance discount in a sense is that they're going to go negotiate what's called a stability payment. If you Google it, you won't find it until I write a full article on it, right? This <laughs> stability. I looked at it. I was writing in the book. I'm like, what the hell is this? They all talk. It's not there. They made it up. And basically what they're doing is protecting themselves from having your business fall off a cliff. And so they'll say, look, uh, we're buying your business for a million bucks. We, we're going to put $250,000 in a stability payment, which means, Ryan, you're not going to get the 250 for 12 months and you'll get it as long as the revenue over the next 12 months is within 90% of the prior 12 months. The problem with that, it's multiple problems with it, first of all, but it's a seller note is what it is, right? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's a, seller, it's a seller note with a, a different name on it. But the problem with that is also that it's 90%. What happens if Revenue is 89.99%. You lose a quarter of a million dollars. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to end up with that, negotiate a much smaller percentage, but at least do a sliding scale. So mm-hmm. it's 90%, you get all of it. 85 to 90%, you get 200, so on and so forth, all the way down to, to zero. You know, right. if you got you to do that aspect of it. Um, the other thing that they look for is an earnout, and they'll call it, a profit sharing program that really, really good marketing, but it's an earnout by any other name. So basically, um, I'm going to pay you a percentage of profit um, over the next 12 months. And that's an earnout, right? You earn it, it right. you get it as the business earns it. Um, what they'll do sometimes, though, is they'll say, you know, uh, we'll give you X percentage above the total revenue. We're going to split it 
above the trailing 12 month revenue. We'll give that to you in 12 months. And, and both of them can be negotiated pretty dramatically, but the huge little nuances there, obviously the sliding scale and the stability payment, but the big one uh, that you've got to make sure that you have in any contract, if you're going to sell directly to an aggregator, is that if they run out of inventory on any major SKU for any, you know, more than a week, yeah. all bets are off. They owe you the full stability payment. They owe you the full profit sharing and earn out. Uh, I've seen it happen, unfortunately, where we were 91% of the way there, three weeks to go, and we were going to blow that number away, and my client didn't get a $300,000 payment. Fortunately, there was a subclause that we put in there that the next quarter counted, and they ended up getting the $300,000. So you got to have those clauses. And the last thing that I'd say you absolutely have to have is if you're going to accept a stability payment, if you're going to accept any kind of an earnout masked as a profit sharing plan, you've got to have access to the seller account. View yeah. only access is fine, but you got to be able to see it. You want to know what's going on because the aggregators are growing like crazy. They're smart. They talked investors into giving them millions of dollars. They're really, for the most part, they're really actually really good people. And I like them a lot. They're smart and they're very likable, right? They're very charming and they'll charm you right out of your business and you'll make money for it. Look, some people are very, very happy selling to them. But you've got to make sure that you have access to the report so that you can tell the, the kid that has no experience that just joined the team that's managing the inventory for your business, uh, you know, for he, and he's making $50,000 a year, but you've got 300000 riding on it. You want to make yeah. sure he's doing his job well because you've got a lot more riding on it than they do. So always want to have report access to the seller account as well. That's awesome stuff. Yeah, and I, I, when you were telling me those stories on – when I was on your podcast, that, that just gives me a heart attack to think about something as great as like one event that you have like almost like a bet, like you're putting it all on black. Mm -hmm, yeah. No input on how it does. It's almost like gambling and making sure they know what they're talking about. Like you said, you put it in numbers that we can all kind of break down. If someone's making $50,000 a year, they have other accounts they have to worry about. But if they just run out of inventory for a couple of days or a week or whatever that looks like, that can cost you $300,000, which is absolutely yeah. crazy in my and mind. It's not, and it's not intentional. Again, these people are good right. people. It's not intentional. It's just they're human and they hire humans and humans screw up, right? Yeah. You, just, you want to have all the parts and pieces in there in black and white in simple legal language that you know protect you because you've spent your life working on this business. You risked everything. You want to make sure you're getting paid for it. Absolutely. Well, uh, I, I think that's a good place to kind of like put a pin in our conversation. Uh, uh, Francois hopped over to Facebook. Loving the conversation, fellas. Primo content here. Well, we appreciate it. Obviously, that's what our job here is on Crossover Commerce to bring people to kind of like pull back the curtain and say like, listen, we're not trying to like knock these people, but you need to be educated in the fact of like these things happen. Each business is different. You need to be educated. You don't want to get one offer it, and that's your only offer from Mr. Wonderful. You want to get people, Mark Cuban throwing in there, no, I'll, I'll, I believe in you, and I believe in this product, and this is what I see your value in, and you want to have them fighting for it. So they have all these millions of dollars. They have a job to do. They want to grow your business, and they see value, but they also don't want to give you the farm too. So there's you got to have people that go to bat with you, and that's where you guys, I know, come in. So. Awesome stuff today, Joe. Is there any, like, where can people find out more information if they want to exit or if they want to just understand more information about their business? Where, where can they uh, learn more about you guys? Uh, quietlight.com. There's uh, lots of resources on there, educational content, material. Uh, then go to the Quiet Light podcast, listen to me interview guys like you. Um, or um, if they want evaluation, they want to reverse engineer a path to their own exit, they can uh, fill out the evaluation form on quietlight.com. Awesome. Yeah. And we put those in the show notes below. So if in the comment section, you guys have questions, go ahead and check them out on their website. Definitely worth a look, especially uh, just having a conversation. If this is something either now a year or two from now to kind of reverse engineering your path to an exit, Joe, thank you so much for hopping on today. We appreciate your time. Uh, as always, you know, good luck with all the, the, the people trying to buy a PayPal business uh, from Spain, potentially. I, I'm curious about that. You have to tell me how that looks. We'll if have to talk uh, about that <laughs> off air for sure. Yeah, I'm curious how, how what that how that works even. So, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for hopping on today. I appreciate your time. My pleasure, man. Awesome. Again, thanks, Joe, uh, with Quietlight Brokerage. Um, go ahead and check that on their website, quietlight.com. Uh, again, this is Crossover Commerce. We go live four to five times a week. Make sure that you 
um, stick around. And for tomorrow, it's a two for one day. Uh, typically Fridays are a little bit more relaxed. You know, I put on sweatpants, I put on uh, <laughs> something a little more comfortable instead of talking with everyone else around, you know, uh, on these podcasts, but I am super excited to do a round table discussion. Our first on our show, it's gonna be four amazing women entrepreneurs and, uh, service providers. They have their brands, they have businesses that are helping people crush it on Amazon. It's in partnership with, uh, the war, uh, Women by Amazon, or uh, excuse me, the women on Amazon or by Amazon uh, event. So make sure that you stick around and check out that roundtable. It's four. Uh, it's going to be four and one basically. So it's me asking questions, picking their brain about their diverse uh, background and expertise in the field. And then also we're going to be talking uh, about with marketology, building your brand, and don't miss that talk as well. So. Spend all day Friday with us. You got nothing better to do. Obviously, you want to listen to us in the background. Just listen to us. Uh, put on the headphones uh, instead of being on Clubhouse or anything like that. Just listen to us. Um, but we'll be live at 10 a.m. Eastern and then 3 p.m. Eastern with both various topics uh, and us going live. So six times we went live. We're going to be live this week. Make sure you tune in for each of those. To get notified, go ahead and follow Ping Pong Payments on social media, on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, and Twitter. And then also you can follow me at Ryan Kramer on LinkedIn, YouTube, or Facebook, excuse me, and Instagram. All of our information will be put there. Just lots of content that's going to be coming your way. It doesn't stop here. Um, but again, tune in live for our live shows. Uh, you can rewatch them on YouTube. And then if you want to go ahead and download, just search Crossover Commerce uh, on wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm Ryan Kramer for Crossover Commerce. Thank you so much for joining us today. Everyone stay safe out there and we hope that you stay successful in your Amazon business. Stay, uh, stay well, everyone.